Hey, all welcome to episode 291 of the JV Club with my boy of summer, undisclosed Colin Miller. I feel I've made no secret on the podcast, if you are a regular listener, uh, about the fact that I am a very, very, very big Undisclosed fan and uh, have been since their first season. I just think they're doing such, such great work. Uh, and so I was I was just thrilled. I'm, I really apologize uh, to those of you, especially those of you who may be uh, coming from the Undisclosed side or who are fans of Collins. If you are here uh, expecting a straightforward interview, I must warn you that it is it definitely a conversation. Try to think of it more as two people um, virtual sitting over coffee together. <laughs> I definitely talk about myself. That's kind of the nature of the show. Uh, anybody who has listened to the show before knows that, but um, I'm always a little self-conscious about that when I think about getting new listeners in. So I hope you enjoy it. I certainly had a great time. I felt very uh, excited and honored to get to talk to, uh, again, somebody I think is just doing great work out there in uh, in the social media slash podcasting slash legal justice world. So take a listen and I will uh, speak to you guys soon. I will be at Comic-Con um, this next weekend in San Diego. Uh, I will be in Philadelphia this weekend right now. It's happening just two days from when this podcast drops. I will be there with Spontanea Nation, with Paul of Tompkins, Tawny Newsom, and Eugene Cordero. Uh, and I very much look forward to being at Comic-Con the week following to talk about Stand Against Evil, to do a really cool sci-fi panel. Uh, their network is putting together a really fun, cool kind of debate-style show that a lot of amazing people are on, including John Barrowman. Um, be still my heart. So uh, I hope to see you there if you are going to be in the Comic-Con area. And uh, that's it. Enjoy the episode. I'll talk to you soon. Now entering Nerdist.com. I can't believe it. It's too good to be true. <laughs> Which inevitably means something will happen. Someone's going to rush into your office on campus and scream fire. Like that feels <laughs> like, it, but then at least it will be on your end and not mine. Uh, for the listener, I have had many technological challenges this morning. I was explaining to Colin that it only happens like to the point where I wonder if there is some sort of psychological thing I'm doing to sabotage myself because it, it truly seems to only happen once in a blue moon with someone I don't know and someone that I would would hope to impress. That is a guarantee that everything will sort of fall to pieces very quickly. It's the old Murphy's Law thing, right? It's the old Murphy's Law. Admittedly, I'm realizing as I say that I don't know who Murphy is. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know who that was named for. Yeah, I mean, probably someone who had some bad luck, I would guess. If Rebecca Lavoie were on this call, she would say, "If the if Murphy had anything to do with a legal matter, you would you would absolutely know. You would be like, well, <laughs> actually, this dates back to an old Supreme Court case in 1962." Um, <laughs> Thank you so much for doing the JV Club. This is very exciting for me. I think I've been overly effusive from the get-go uh, when I found out that you had an, any inkling uh, as to who I was on Twitter. Um, do you want? Would you like to recap your perception 
of how that went down. Yeah, so I think we can hear the story, the story of my fangirling <laughs> from you instead of from my mouth. Well, I don't even I remember it exactly. It was on Twitter, right? I think you had tweeted something and I was tweeting a response and you saw that I was following you on Twitter and you were happy to see that. And I was happy to see your excitement because I'm a big fan of yours from a few of the projects you've done. That's outrageous. That's outrageous. I was I was shooting uh, Stand Against Evil. I was it was a very, very, very warm day. Uh as is fairly typical, although they have been giving me more civilian clothes to wear, I was wearing my sheriff's uniform. It uh, they are very. It's a very uncomfortable pair of polyester pants. Uh, the entire affair was really bringing me down, just because I'm very bad in hot weather. And uh, when I found out that you followed me, my compl- the, my mood completely changed. And when I got back to set, uh, I was I was so giddy that people I think thought I had like snorted some cocaine or something. <laughs> there was like a genuine concern for my level of enthusiasm, which uh, to that point that day had been like I was so, so sort of sluggish and lifeless when I wasn't uh, when we weren't actually rolling. So uh, so you really you really put some pep into my step. But I but but again, sort of pursuant to everything I've already said. I have been on Twitter for many years. I recognize and understand that if you want to send a message just to the person, I mean, certainly you can send a direct message, but if you just want to send a message, for example, to a person like that, the only people who would care is if they both followed you. Uh, I should have just sent a message at, you know, uh, your Twitter handle and then said my piece, but I was so flustered that I just sent out a tweet into the world that was clearly directed only to you. Um, and then I was like, because I started out with like, wait, um, and then that meant every follower I have saw that tweet. And again, it was like, whose mom am I? What am I doing? I can't, I know how to use Twitter. I'm, that's how, that's how flustered I was. Um, you, are, I'm excited because uh, right as I was getting ready to record, I saw uh, an email come in from uh from from claire who is uh one of the attorneys who works uh for the georgia innocence project unless i'm mistaken and i get her emails because i donated to that organization and so as i was stumbling through trying to get you on the phone uh and get this podcast recorded damn it (laughs) i got uh, an update about what i can expect in my podcast feed today uh from undisclosed do you mind just telling us a little bit about that to get us going Yeah, so we're starting a brand new case today. It's another one with the Georgia Innocence Project, as you said. It's a case out of a small town, Waverly, Georgia. And it's a case out of 1985, where a deacon and his wife at a Baptist church in southeastern Waverly, Georgia, were shot and killed. And it was an unsolved mystery for years. In fact, it was on the TV show, the first season of that show on NBC, Unsolved Mysteries. And then eventually they got a new investigator in 13 years later, and this man, Dennis Perry, was convicted. And we have strong reasons to believe that he is the wrong man and had no involvement in this murder whatsoever. Oh, wow. And how long, uh, how many episodes does this stretch? What's the arc like? Because you guys have had so many different lengths, which I think has been terrific. And I think most people agree. It's just been very cool to have uh, these these varied lengths of sometimes it's one episode, sometimes it's four, sometimes it's ten uh, of, of these various cases. I think it's so cool that you d- that you haven't limited yourself to, well, this really could only be two episodes, so we better not do it. Yeah, this is exciting for us because this is our really our third 
longer arc. So we did, of course, the Adnan Syed case was season one. That was about 20 episodes. Joy Watkins with the Georgia Innocence Project was about 20 episodes. Then, as you said, we've had a series of arcs that are only about four episodes. And this is our first real deep dive in a while. So we're thinking about 12 episodes. It might be a little shorter or yes. longer, depending on some leads that we're, we're following up on. But yeah, this will be a, a deep dive into a case. And we're, we're really hoping that the fans like the, the longer series this time. Well, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And the the Freddie Gray, um, that particular, I sort of do think of that as a season because it was fairly long, but that was uh, in part almost um, a collaboration or, 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 a, or a sort of forwarding or presentation of work that was also, that was sort of being done a little bit more outside of you, Susan, and Rabia. Yeah, exactly. Right. And yeah, Susan and myself weren't even really involved in that series. That was Rabia and a, a separate team that were going through and investigating that case so well. I mean, they did such a great job on that. It, that, it blew my mind. It truly blew my mind and made me so angry and so uncomfortable. That was the season where I was really uncomfortable, I think, in a kind of important and great way. Uh, when talking about, you know, just conversations about race and when to listen and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I thought it was really terrific. Yeah, I thought it was it was really important. And it brought a different type of listener who hadn't really paid attention before, because we're usually on you know wrongful convictions. And that dealt with so many issues on race and the history of Baltimore and these police shootings. And, you know, all those types of issues were brought up. And it led to a lot of interesting discussions. Absolutely. What kind what what kind of conversations or 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 is that something that comes up for you as a professor um, when you're kind of getting into the nitty gritty of past cases and 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 sort of the history and the forensics almost of of the legal system? How how much do those kinds of conversations, those more raw emotional uh, conversations come into play with your students when talking about things like race or sexism? Oh, qu quite a bit. It's interesting. Before I taught here, I actually taught at a school in Chicago, the John Marshall Law School, and they actually gave free full tuition scholarships to former police officers. And I was actually oh, teaching wow. in the night school at John Marshall. And so you'd have these former police officers coming in and it was a really diverse law school. Lots of people at different ages, races, ethnicities, religions. And yeah, I mean, that's the best type of discussion you can have because it really makes it something where students invest in the class and are interested. You can have sort of a dry law school class where it's talking about cases from like 1750s and these old legal doctrines. But to the extent you can take issues going on in the real world and really get discussions about you know, discrimination and issues we're having with what's going on with these police shootings and get those gripping discussions, that drives it home to the students and helps them to really learn the material. Oh, my God. Absolutely. No, that's, I mean, whereas that's, I mean, it's not a whereas. It's, it's, that's certainly true in any kind of classroom environment, right? Is, is anytime you can, I'm saying this as a, as a daughter of two teachers, but anytime you can sort of bring it home in a way that, that makes something come alive and, and feel like it's just a sort of breathing, moving experience, um, it's only going to benefit everybody involved, everybody who's, who's trying to walk away with some information and some opinions. Yeah, and one of the cases I'm working on now outside the podcast it has one of those issues, and I'm going to definitely teach it in evidence this year, and that is, you know, let's say you have a case and you have a person who's convicted, and it turns out after the verdict that something amiss was going on with the jury, and specifically, let's say it was racial bias, 
there's a recent Supreme Court opinion that says, despite the fact that in most cases we don't want to peer behind the curtain of jury deliberations, if there's racial bias, that's enough where we have to disturb the verdict and allow jurors to testify. You know what? We kind of convicted this guy based upon racial bias. And there's this recent case that was reported out of, I think, South Dakota, where it was jurors saying, here's a, a homosexual man who was convicted of murder, and the question was life or death. Is it life imprisonment or is it the death penalty? And several jurors, according to what they've said after the fact, said, you know what, we think you would enjoy prison because of the whole sort of prison, well, really, I'm mean, rape culture, not sex culture, but he'd enjoy prison. Oh, and so God. we're not going to give him a life sentence wow. to benefit him, right? It's going to be the death penalty. And in South Dakota, what they're saying oh. is anti-gay bias is not in the same level as racial bias. And therefore, that's not a case where you can disturb the verdict based upon that anti-gay bias. And so that's being appealed Whoa. now. And I'm working on what's known as a friend of the court brief, an amicus brief. And so certainly I'm sure that's going to lead to some interesting discussions in class. That is uh, that is astonishing and fairly terrifying. Yeah. How do you, it, 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 uh, do you consider, I mean, I think, I, I feel like I, I feel like we can sort of uh, intuit the answer based on the work you're doing, but do you consider yourself to be an optimist? Yeah, I mean, there's that whole, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, but there was a quick sigh and a, and a sort of resigned version of yeah that is kind of a perfect answer go ahead all oh, right it, it, it's sort of the whole the, the martin luther king jr quote where it's the, the the moral arc of the universe is long but it bends toward justice i think that pretty perfectly encapsulates it where we're not going to get there today tomorrow next month next year but slowly but surely we're sort of ticking closer and closer and you know it's gradual sometimes sometimes it's immediate Sometimes you have two steps forward, one step back. But I think, you know, eventually we're getting toward a more just society. Uh, I love everything you just said, and I uh, embrace it. And that you're right. That was a, an absolutely perfect, uh, articulate quote. Uh, I don't know who this Martin Luther King Jr. person <laughs> is, but he sounds great. Um, so... It, and 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 this kind of version of yourself, uh, as we get a, a little bit weird and meta here, but um, is this is this the is this sort of the the moral principles that you have and the relationship that you have to your own ideals and how that relates to this you know this structure that we've set up as Americans? Do you feel like that's that's a version of you that has carried through from childhood? Did you always kind of have a sense of this stuff or has putting a spotlight on it in your career um, had a huge effect on, you know, like kind of modifying your own f feelings about right and wrong? Uh, I think, you know, the work I've done is certain heightened features that I've had. I always had sort of a sense of justice and advocating for those who were being discriminated against. I guess that sort of instilled in me my father, um, uh, sorry, my, my grandfather on my mother's side. He, uh, my family is Jewish on my mother's side, and he grew up in the Bronx. And the, the famous story about him was he didn't know until he went to World War II that there was anyone other than Jewish people. And he entered the military, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of anti-Semitism there, and he was treated pretty poorly in the military. He came home to Long Island. He was a sign painter, and he found that his hand was shaking, and he could no longer paint, and he had eventually diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And he had a fight with years with a VA 
to get benefits for that. And he wasn't really that educated, but he taught himself the law so that he could appeal this and eventually get benefits. And those benefits are part of what helped pay for my law school education. Um, and so, you know, through that and hearing his story, that's what stoked my interest in the law and fighting for the underrepresented and fighting against bias and discrimination. And so that was always, I think, sort of instilled in me growing up. And then through working as an attorney and a professor, I think it sort of just, you know, highlighted those even more. Was there a time, I mean, that's, that's a very powerful uh, story. And, and again, exa- kind of exactly what we were talking about with something coming alive in the classroom. When you have that personal experience and you have that emotional connection to something that goes so deep um was did you think that there was something else uh, out there for you or are you one of those and I use this term with envy freaks who really did kind of all, always know what they were going to do for a living? <laughs> I kind of always was oscillating between journalists and some type of teacher and it was just something where Eventually, I figured, you know, I really love the process. I used to be assistant coach to sports teams growing up and did some mentoring and tutoring. And just seeing the process of someone who, you know, initially doesn't get something, whether it be an athletic skill or some type of knowledge or way of thinking, and you just work with them and see that growth. And my, my philosophy always is I love to teach things to people so they can eventually teach it back to me. And so, yeah, I mean, I think kind of always my, my mother's a teacher, my sister's a teacher, I guess like your parents too. It just always felt in my blood like teaching was in my blood and I wanted to teach in some way. Um, and so eventually I guess that just <laughs> luckily worked out with, with the law being uh-huh. such a passion of mine, being able to teach that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a confluence of like all, all the good stuff. Where did, you, uh, where did you grow up? I know your grandfather was from the Bronx. Where, where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in Virginia Beach, so southeastern Virginia, about 15 minutes away from the shore. Okay. Um, do, do people tell you that you have an accent that it, or, or just the way you speak is, doesn't tell, it doesn't, I don't, I'm, I love dialect and stuff, so I'm <laughs> always the, the nerd and the annoying person who's like, Listen, from what I can hear, like I, the, the most annoying version of that is me watching television and leaning over to my sweetie and going like, I'm pretty sure he's Australian, even though he's doing an American <laughs> accent and then patting right, myself right. on the back and then being wrong at least 50% of the time. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but, but where did you, cause obviously we don't necessarily hear what, what one would necessarily think of as a Virginia accent. Do you, do you feel like you picked up uh a, a way of speaking from any particular place or person? Yeah, not really. And that's that's the interesting thing is growing up in Virginia Beach, it's not traditionally Southern. So I've you know worked a couple of times yeah. in Richmond. I worked there for a summer at Legal Aid and I externed at the Supreme Court of Virginia there. And that's much more Southern, whereas Virginia Beach, actually my, my father was in the Navy in Norfolk, which sort of adjoined Virginia Beach and liked it so much we eventually moved down there. It's a lot of military people. It's a lot of northern transplants. And so really people don't speak with southern accents there. It's, it's pretty neutral in the way that people talk. And so, um, yeah, there's not really, I guess, it's sort of a neutral accent, which is probably why you're not hearing, I guess, a southern twang or a southern accent in the way I talk. Yeah, it's uh, Virginia is one of those mysterious states to someone from the West Coast, I think, um, me being from Arizona and having like such a, a limited recognition of 
uh, certainly I feel like I had a, my, a, a light grasp on geography as a student, but, uh, but it is a place where, you know, it, just in podcasting people who have either come from the Richmond area or from, uh, the more, what would be considered quote unquote Southern part of Virginia, which is, you know, that's by self-admission of podcast guests and the difference between, um, like for example I don't know why this is popping into my head right now but for some reason I feel like Leslie Bibb might have been from Virginia and I feel Mm -hmm. like we had a whole conversation about family members of hers really having that sort of twang and then you know the difference between someone uh who is and then then you sort of go well what about DC do you think of DC as the south everyone no of course not so that uh that sort of helps helps educate a little bit but um yeah, the but test is what, always, uh, I worked at Wendy's for, for a couple of summers, and that's where I sort of learned it was, we, we didn't serve sweet tea. And that was the litmus test for people. They would come in and say, <laughs> well, you don't serve sweet tea? So that, that's sort of the idea that Virginia Beach is not in the South, is we don't have sweet tea there. That's it. That's the only deciding factor. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, it is very helpful. It's very helpful because all the time I shoot in Atlanta, I do have to remember to, when I order iced tea, make it very clear that I don't, that I don't mean sweet tea. Um when I get sweet tea by accident, I don't know what to do. It's uh, it's very, very sweet indeed. Uh, well, good. I'm glad you brought up Wendy's because, of course, that's the reason we're both here um, <laughs> is to really dig deep into uh, your time at Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> what? Did, so you went the route of for 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 part time job kind of stuff. Uh, would you say that you went the food route versus the retail route? Because that is um, obviously there are many, many other shades and hues and tones and other jobs that that young people end up taking. But for me, when I was in high school and college, um, the overwhelming majority sort of ended up either in food service of some kind or like, you know, working at the Gap folding sweaters or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, uh, I don't want to have to sell things to people i'm a terrible salesperson <laughs> even though my father is was a levi salesman um so he was a really good salesman my brother is too but no i i'm good at teaching <laughs> i'm not good at selling so yeah going going the wendy's route as opposed to say the the j crew or gap route sort of made sense to me <laughs> what uh, how much uh, what's the age difference between you and your sister and who's older uh so i have a brother who is 18 months older than me and a sister who is five years younger than me Oh, okay. Uh, and and uh, did you grow up with a uh, a, a, a married couple, <laughs> or was there a single parent, or a, a stepdad, or stepmom? Uh, married, yeah. So uh, yeah, I guess uh, among friends and other people that I knew, yeah, one of the few couples who married and s- stayed together, and uh, they they got married in 1970. So they have been together. What I guess 48 years was was this June. Oh, very cool. Are they uh, still in the Virginia area? You, yeah. you mentioned that he liked that. He liked their, yeah. Yeah, they still live in Virginia Beach in the, the same house that I grew up in. And what ended up taking you into, uh, you said Chicago. Did uh, Was that where you went to school as well? Do I already know this? And Am I already blanking on? No, yeah, I went, I went to college and, and law school both in Virginia and then was an attorney for a while. And then it's just sort of you throw your hat in the ring and say, I'd like to be a law professor. And whatever school or schools are interested in you is where you end up going. And so there was a school, the John Marshall Law School in downtown Chicago that was interested and had an opening. And so just worked out nicely to go there. Absolutely. Uh, what? Okay, so got it. Um, 
And and when you were in high school, what uh, were there were there classes that you sort of felt more drawn to uh, and excited about? Um, in terms of classes, yeah, I mean, I liked my like AP government class, AP history, and AP English. I guess would be the the three best professors and subjects. Um, but really, I, I guess classes were okay. I, I was a good student, but it was sort of the activities outside of classes. Like I was in the debate team and the public speaking forensics team. Um, those were really, I guess, what interested me the most. The, again, this is just, it all feels so, like this. these are these are the friends that I had AP classes with mm-hmm. who just still, they already had such strong points of view and they were like exploring their interests. And I think people assume that about me because I did take you know I was sort of in theater in high school and college and and uh and that was certainly a way I would have described myself but I just looked around I've said this on the podcast before but I like in in thumbing through my yearbooks I was (laughs) I was so like oh yeah I get yeah there's a debate team that's cool (laughs) like oh what's the Oh, chess club. Wait, did you guys meet after school? Like I just had so <laughs> I, th- th- I was I was I had such tunnel vision, I guess, as as to what like uh, I, this is something that I, I, I think I've probably been exhausting a little bit in in conversations on the podcast. But I'm just I remain so fascinated by this idea of the concept of self and how early on some of us uh, versus other people who stay more open, how early on we kind of assign qualities to ourselves, whether it's because it's what other people told us or just, you know, for whatever reason, we sort of decide early on, even by lack of knowledge or pursuing knowledge about other other things. Like, I just never would have thought of myself as somebody who would be on a debate team. But mm-hmm. looking back, I'm like, oh, I would have been probably great at that. Yeah, oh, I yeah. probably would have really enjoyed that, you know? Terrific, yeah. uh, but it was just not... It just was so f- it, my I, my my little world. I think I made for myself in terms of my academics was so small that um, it just never would have occurred to me. Like th- there were so many things that just other people did that were not that far of a step outside of something I was. It's like oh well, if you were doing theater and you were good at your sort of AP English classes and stuff like that, like is debate really that far afield? And of course the answer is no. But mm-hmm. at the time it seemed so far away from, <laughs> from anything that I would have been asked to do or know about, you know what I mean? Yeah. Have you ever seen the, the seven up documentaries? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's, 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 that just intrigues me so much. And I'm, I guess the next one's probably coming up soon, but yeah, it's to see those kids growing up every seven years and some you expect to follow a certain path and it's, 180 degrees different. And then there are other kids who, yeah, at seven years old, you can basically tell like that's going to be that kid when he or she grows up and is 56 years old. It's interesting. It, it also reminds me, I just flashed to the, uh, the, the beginning of broadcast news. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that oh, movie, yeah. but it's a favorite of mine. Um, but yeah, you sort of have the, like the James Brooks shorthand is to show the child version of, of each of the three principal characters, Holly Hunt's character, William Hurt's character and Albert Brooks's character. And that really is the sort of like the snapshot of, you know, what I, what I will now, I'm an, I'm adding you right into the mix. Like there's tiny, <laughs> tiny Colin Miller being like, what you took his lunch money and I feel that is unfair, <laughs> which is like such an oversimplification 
It's so unfair. Speaking of unfair. But now that I know that you're on the debate team, like you just keep telling me things that are checking boxes I didn't even know I had until I'm hearing it. And then I'm like, well, of course you were on the debate team. So if you want to just like throw something from out of left field, like I also was a met, like, like I used to cook dinner for everyone because I'm known for my uh, eggplant Parmesan <laughs> as a high school student. I'm very w- ready to hear that. Well, I'll tell you that, you know what? But- I actually, in addition to the ones I mentioned before, I was interested in being a chef and would get recipe books <laughs> out of the library. Me? Now it turns <laughs> out I have a terrible, <laughs> terrible I taste. That? Why did I pick and smell so it was not a good career path but i had an easy bake oven yeah i was i was good to go but yeah i'm I'm okay i mean i I, i've learned but yeah that was that was something that i i definitely wanted to be when i was younger oh god please tell me that that is not something that my unconscious tucked away from like blue apron ads on this (laughs) clothes i'm terribly terribly afraid that that is the only reason that that was the particular thing that came up and uh and I just I just sort of searched my database of Colin Miller and suddenly with alarm realized like oh wait no that's probably why you said that that's you're like you are you I don't really have an imagination I'm still just going <laughs> off of some sort of cue from from the podcast perhaps um what so what how close were you with your your grandpa when you were growing up was he somebody that was in your life on a on a on a pretty regular basis yeah so before we moved down to virginia beach we were in sort of northern new jersey and my my father worked at the levi's in downtown manhattan and they were out in Levittown, they had one of the initial uh, Levitt houses on, on Levittown, so I'd see him a good deal. And then we moved down to Virginia Beach. That's that still wasn't too far away, and I remember we spent a, a nice summer up there with him. Um, so yeah, I, I was pretty close to both my my grandparents on my mother's side. And, and did you go to temple, and were you bar mitzvah because of your mom's side of the family, or? No, and that's so that's sort of the thing is, yeah, my, my mother's side is Jewish. My father's side is some branch of Christianity, I think maybe um, Episcopalian. And so as a result of that, just really weren't raised with much religion. So, yeah, I didn't end up going to church or, or temple, I guess. Our, our church sort of on Sundays was the movie theater. That was where we would go to to spend our Works Sunday mornings and see the, 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 the cheap, I guess, $5 matinee movies at the movie theater. Uh, that's, that's pretty amazing. (laughs) Did your, did, was that, was that any, ever any kind of topic of conflict again, not to kind of throw your, your parents or your grandparents story, uh, in any kind of like a a Snoopy way. Um, I mean that in the, I'm a Snoop, not the Charles Schultz way, although I do very (laughs) much enjoy Charles Schultz's work, uh, that, 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 uh, that your mom did not marry someone who was Jewish. Did your grandparents care about that? No, and they themselves weren't too religious, so that was not really a point of conflict. And it wasn't, you know, growing up that there was sort of animosity toward religion. It was just sort of something that wasn't really part of my life at all. So it's just it's one of those sort of blind spots. I sort of watch Jeopardy at night, and it's whenever the Bible category comes up, it's no clue whatsoever uh, what's going on. So <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> Well, I asked because, of course, you know, your that your introduction uh, to me of your grandfather was so specific to him being kind of isolated in his environment and and honestly kind of not having a sense of uh, non-Jewish folks and certainly not anti-Semitism until he was kind of part of this broader picture in the world. Um, so, I, yeah, I didn't know if that was something that would have 
um, extended over to like his actual religion or his practices or, you know, the way his relationship to his kids and their and their Judaism or lack thereof. Yeah, it's, it's definitely possible. Was, it's, it's something I just really haven't delved in uh, too much just because, yeah, it really hasn't been part of my life. But yeah, it's that might have had an effect. Um, but yeah, I'm not too sure. Side note, I just went, I just kind of went into the rabbit hole of uh, different branches of Christianity because I realized that I had absolutely <laughs> no idea why there were so many and where various things broke off. Like, I really was so proud of myself just for remembering that uh, Henry VIII wanted to marry Anne Boleyn, which is yes. something that everyone knows. So it's really not that specialized. But when I, when I, when I was really, you know, I started to break it down, I was like, oh, I, I just I just don't know. I don't know what I mean, I sort of have this very cursory understanding of, you know, if you're Baptist, that probably has to do with John the Baptist. And if you're, you know, uh, if you're Russian Orthodox, there are some, you know, things you can kind of put together there. But um, but but it, it really is like kind of amazing how many different versions of something that kind of has the same roots uh, that actually like developed into having very specific names and kind of power figures assigned, you know, that that's why you would call yourself a Lutheran because of this exact time and, and place with this exact person, you know? Yeah. And you're, you're probably a step ahead of me because yeah, I'm, I'm no clue what's, I, I do know the names, like I guess Presbyterian, Episcopalian, but not the slightest clue whatsoever what distinguishes them. Well, guess what? You would have to have a second career just studying that, I think, because as soon as I started to get a little into it, I was completely overwhelmed. So mm -hmm. don't worry. You have your hands full already. What were were there specific things when you were um, doing stuff like on the debate team, for example, that you felt that you would get more fired up about than others? You know, were there things you can remember that you would go like, oh, like you would groan like, oh, I hope we don't have to, to talk and uh, talk about this particular thing or, you know, oh, you know, this, 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 this argument really gets me fired up and I'm really excited. Oh yeah, absolutely. I can say, I mean, this was what I was going to go into in terms of being a law professor and it didn't work out, but we had to debate, this was my senior year, whether we should legalize physician assisted suicide. And Whoa, that, yeah. that just really intrigued me and it brought in so much, I mean, bioethics, uh, politics, bodily integrity, and so I ended up doing my thesis, my dissertation in college on whether we should legalize assisted suicide here. And it was comparing the U.S. with the Netherlands, where it's been legal for decades, and sort of looking at the differences in the two countries and our political systems, the philosophies of the people, et cetera. And so eventually I was thinking I'm going to go into bioethics and advocate for legalization of assisted suicide, because after doing all the research, I thought this is something that makes sense, you know, death with dignity. And eventually that shifted over into sort of evidence in criminal law. But yeah, that really in high school was like, wow, that's this is really interesting. And I, I really want to advocate in support of it. Well, see, and that's that's what's what's interesting to me is that, you know, here we here I spin you off temporarily on this whole tangent of religion. Um, but I think that's part of my curiosity about it is that, you know, then as it happens, you you tell now me. Uh, that you became so fascinated by this particular topic, which one could sort of draw a, a, a loose dotted line over to the abortion argument, right? Just mm -hmm. in terms of bioethics and in terms of uh, of where we get our sense of ethics and morals. And so much of that can tie right back into religion, right? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's such a, those are very loud voices, um, 
when it comes to what does this mean? Like, what does this mean to me as a moral person? What does this mean to me as a Christian? What does this mean to me as a believer that a soul exists in heaven and then enters, you know, a corporeal body uh, and becomes a baby? Therefore, you know, I may feel differently about it than someone who who doesn't believe that. So in a way, I guess, what am I doing? I'm attacking you for not knowing more about (laughs) religion. Well, it's interesting. So (laughs) that that was definitely one of the things that I, in my dissertation, I addressed was it's interesting because in the Netherlands, it's not a very religious society. And so I researched religion just to the extent to say a lot of people thought there were abuses of assisted suicide in the Netherlands and there wasn't sort of a religious check. And the only real point I made with religion was to say, well, in the U.S., we would definitely have a religious check, and that would help to keep the abuses in check. Um, But beyond that, I didn't get too deeply into it. And I think probably, as you say, if you're going to research and write in that field, you need to know religion better than I did. And I guess that's probably part of the reason I didn't pursue it more was just I didn't have that religious grounding to be able to, to address those issues. Is that something that people can uh, specialize in as well, I, I, w- I would guess, like the, the religion and the law, that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think like, we have a law and religion class here at South Carolina. And yeah, it goes into sort of, you know, Jewish law and Christian law and Muslim law and how that intersects with the American legal system. It's, just, it's a pretty interesting topic. Yeah, no kidding. That seems super interesting. Do your, uh, do your students... Um, listen to the podcast are they you because it sounds like some of the cases that you guys have worked on you've had a little help from or even been inspired by uh some of the work that that your students are doing so i guess i'm answering my own question but please expound yeah i have a a decent number of students who who listen to the podcast and they'll come in during office hours to discuss it and i'll in class talk about the various cases that we're doing because a lot of them have evidence and criminal law issues that i'm teaching in the class and so oftentimes i'll use them as illustrations And as you said, I've had a few students here at South Carolina who have been terrific research assistants, uh, sometimes talking to witnesses, sometimes doing legal research, sometimes helping me with the scripting of the episodes. And so it's great to be able to have that help from the students then also use these podcast cases in the classroom. And you talk about the 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 kind of additional work that you do where you know I I I have this picture now of you not only teaching which um, from my experience again as a and you know this but as a young person watching the amount of work that my parents put into being teachers and the fact that it you know when when we when as kids we roll our eyes about coming home with homework but then you come home and you're like oh my dad has homework he's grading 30 (laughs) papers tonight um why would anyone do that thinks the student who doesn't want to have homework and can't imagine making a decision to be an adult also with homework uh but the just the the tremendous amount of kind of blood sweat and tears if you will that go into teaching and and uh I guess I'm realizing right now that because my dad also like ended up writing books about ghost towns and mining camps, obviously he had enough time to pursue something outside of, of the, the semesters of teaching. And I think having that summer break was a huge asset for him in, in pursuing other interests outside of the classroom. But for you to be doing the podcast, um, coming on other podcasts, usually ones that uh, are probably putting more good out into the world than this one, uh, and and then doing, as you were talking about with the South Dakota case, um, doing this extra work that you're sort of volunteering yourself as, as an expert of sorts. Uh, w- 
that's a lot of stuff, Colin. Did you always have that kind of work ethic? Is that something, I mean, if because you were drawn to debate and, and some of the stuff you were, you were listening in high school, did you just kind of have an awareness of yourself as a person? Like, oh, I'm, I'm a guy who works hard and I enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, that's something like, for instance, in college, um, there were people from my high school who went to my college. And I remember my mom saying, oh, you know, so-and-so was talking about you and saying, Colin always seems in a hurry. <laughs> He's always rushing from <laughs> one point to another. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's just starting in, I guess, junior high school. It's always, I had my plate full with sports, volunteering for stuff, doing extracurricular activities. I, I It's sort of like, did you ever see that Joan Rivers documentary about her life? And she said, like, I did, yeah. The, the biggest nightmare I have is like the empty calendar. That's sort of sure. my philosophy in life is, if I'm not in motion and doing stuff, I'm just like sitting on the couch watching TV, which I guess isn't a bad thing because I like to watch TV too, but right. I like to be active and have a lot of plates in the air. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, it's just, I love to have my mind engaged and be able to work on various different things and be thinking through problems and how to solve them or how to teach them all the time. And, and do you feel like that was something, do you look around at your, at your family members and go, okay, well, part of that probably comes from, you know, this influence or was it more uh, of a surprise? Was it, or are your parents more like, you know, we're pretty relaxed about this, that, and the other, like we're, you know, where did you get this crazy drive? I think more of the latter. I mean, sir, I, I have a hardworking family, so it's, it's not a matter of them not working hard, but just teachers reporting to my parents from a young age is just, the report was always, he's like the most self-motivated person I've ever had as a student. And I don't know where it comes from. It's, it's sort of just this drive um that's compelling me to to move and act but yeah I guess it was just always there somehow in in me Uh, and I don't know what the origin is exactly I see that's the kind of thing that we have to be very careful with like you know tampering with genetics because that is exactly the kind of quality that someone would be like listen let me just stick a needle in your arm uh I'm gonna extract the ambition and drive gene and make sure that my unborn child has that (laughs) and has this very you know this just like that's that inner those inner gears are uh again I think something something that that many of us envy I have a thing where see at least you know that about yourself and you can sort of identify that the thing that happens to me a lot when I do especially interviews with other people is um I I definitely get the you know they sort people sort of tick off a list of things I'm involved in and they are like you know and god you're you're so busy um is that just sort of how you know uh, if if that person knew you they would be like so I assume you sort of have like a Colin Miller element of your personality and the thing that I struggle with is that I don't I don't I have a trouble identifying that in myself. And so like, I'm like, I am still sort of puzzled by the amount of stuff I do because Mm -hmm. I can't, I don't necessarily say like, yeah, that's who I am. I just like to have a lot. I mean, I do like to have a lot of things going on, but I feel like a lot of the time, rather than celebrating that I'm sort of dragging my feet a little bit, which doesn't make sense because they're all things I chose to do. So I feel like I have, like I need to just adjust my attitude a few notches because I'll do this thing where, you know, I, I, I do something, I start something, I, you know, whatever it is, it's something that's very directly, uh, auto generated. And then, and then I take a step back and go like, 
oh boy, I got a lot to do. Listen, I, <laughs> I kind of just wish I didn't have any of this to do. Like, so what, you know what I mean? It's not, yeah. I don't, I think there's a, there's a missing piece that I need to plug in. So I just go, yeah, this is who I am. This is what I want. I enjoy it. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where I just, I think sort of like you, I just sort of jump in feet first and I don't really think it through <laughs> too much. And there are certain <laughs> times I'm like, what did I get myself into? But most of the time, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I'm I'm pretty happy that, that I, because if I've decided to do something, it's, I haven't necessarily thought about the amount of work it's going to take, but it's, if it's a project that I've decided to do, it's something that's, that's piqued my interest and that, you know, I'd be happy to do maybe not the amount of hours that it takes to do it, but the, the actual work. Yeah. And, and I actually, I don't know this at all, but are you married and do you have a family? Like, do you have kids of your own? I am married, no kids. Yes. Yeah. So I've been married for mm-hmm. 14 years. Aha. There, I found it. The thing we both have not done because we've been having so many other kids by <laughs> doing other projects and and making things and 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 making commitments to to work stuff that um that's I mean do, do you feel like that has that been part of it for you? Uh, it, let me know if I'm prying, but is is part of it that you, you know, you're around young people and young minds and you can sort of see uh, for lack of a better term, like a work product that also goes into something more organic and emotional and, and more of a legacy than, you know, maybe somebody who is working really hard, but they're working at something that doesn't necessarily speak to any kind of a legacy. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Nieces, nephews, friends, kids, the, the law students who are now oftentimes lawyers who are coming back and asking me for advice and I'm seeing the the progress of their career. So I think that all those sort of combine together to yeah be a factor in that. Did you think that you would have kids by this time? Did you have a sense of that as a young person? Did that feel like it was part of a, any kind of a, I don't want to say formula, but did that feel like it was in a picture? Uh, if you, when you looked forward towards your life as a, as a quote unquote grown up? No, no, I don't think I had any sort of, I guess, time frame on it, and I, it might still happen uh, down the road. But yeah, it's it, it's not something where I was thinking, oh, by age, you know, thirty five, I'm definitely going to have kids. So it wasn't anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Which some people are, you know, mm-hmm. some people. Yeah, have absolutely. The, some people, that's part of their like their sort of uh, biological or mental or emotional clock, as they sort of have a sense of, you know, this. Well, I can't imagine this happening, or I can't imagine this not happening. You know. Um, that kind of thing, but it's definitely something where I think, yeah, if you're if you if you have a lot going on, it's also easy for time to pass and have it not be about in uh, you know being impassive or or having you know an intention or a non-intention that it's like oh my gosh, life passes so quickly when you're this busy. Um, also, which also people are just having kids later and later. Also, you're not like I'm not, you're not yeah. a 75 year old man. I'm not <laughs> like. <laughs> I'm not telling you in any way, shape, or form that, but I think you and I are around the same age. So it's, it's that age where like a lot of our friends have kids to your points, like nieces and nephews. And, um, and so I, and I'm also living in a world where, um, lots and lots of people don't have kids and, you know, lots of my peers who are my age, younger, older, um, are, 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 are not having kids. And, and some of it's incidental, like it sort of is for me, uh, to your point, it's like I hadn't, I haven't said like I'm definitely not doing this, whereas mm. some people have. Um, but I'm also, but for me as especially as a woman, I'm also kind of looking at the clock, going like, huh, okay, <laughs> well, I don't, I guess there's not that much longer that I get to sort of go, eh, maybe it'll happen, you know? <laughs> right. 
Um, what, so just kind of getting back into the, the high school of it all, um, what, what was your social life like since you were, uh, as you mentioned that someone said, Oh, he's always in a hurry. What were the sports that you played? And, uh, don't think that I've forgotten about the fact that you said that you have a terrible taste of smell and, 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 uh, or the smell, uh, a sense of taste and a sense of smell, because I want to try to find a way to come back at that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So sports, I played tennis and I ran cross country and track. And yeah, I mean, in terms of social life, I guess because I was involved in so many activities, it's sort of centered around the sports and then like debate team, academic challenge team, forensics. So like, you know, weekends would always be spent at a debate or a forensics tournament and then oftentimes going, you know, after school to play in tennis tournaments or go run. And so those were my main friends were the people who were in the, the same student organizations as me. And did you date? I did not. I did not date at all in high school. Well, you know, I got to get into that. <laughs> did you, was it because you were so busy? Did you, were you shy? Uh, both. Yeah. So shy and introverted <laughs> for sure. Um, very busy. Um, didn't really find anyone in high school who I thought just was really clicked and, and things matched up completely. So I guess a variety of factors, but yeah, definitely very shy and introverted. Did you have crushes on, on people that went unrequited? <laughs> Um, no, I mean, you know, there, there, there are people, I guess you could say that I, that I liked, but you know, not, nothing where it was sort of the, the, the flame you're carrying and it was unfulfilled. Yeah. Well, I think if you're in, I mean, some of those social groups, like they're very, uh, they're, they're certainly non-gender specific in terms of Mm -hmm. like, you know, unless you're going, uh, you, you went to a co-ed school, I guess I should clarify. Yeah. Yeah. Was it public school? Yeah, public school. So it was a first colonial high school, which was at least at the time until my senior year, the closest high school to the beach. So a lot of surfers, (laughs) a lot of military brats. Um, It was an interesting school. And the the military brats, and you said that you, you, do you consider yourself a military brat? Um, not, I mean, my, my father was in the Navy yeah, when he was younger and yeah. then it was a Levi's salesman when I was growing up. So yeah, I wouldn't consider, yeah, we he, did move around. I was in Massachusetts, Ohio, New Jersey, but then it was like third grade. I was in Virginia, so I didn't move around after that. Yeah. Cause that's a very specific, you know, I have had, I've had a handful of, of army breaths for sure. And it is really interesting how, um, those kinds of experiences, especially if they stretch into your teenage years, like there's just the the sense of kind of anchorlessness and and seeing how different people handle that, you know, whether it's that they make friends easily or they are very guarded or, you know, are they people that uh, adapt quickly to an environment or do they sort of always feel like they're hovering, I don't, not above in a superiority way, but just in a sort of like, I'm, I'm just hovering above this life because it could change at any moment. And there's something like very existentialist about that kind of existence. So even just being at a school um, with kids who have just moved in and out, I, I, I wonder if that would bring a different dynamic than, you know, so many schools where it's like, yep, you're in the same high school with the people that you were in junior high with, with the people that you're in grade school with, you know? Yeah, it's fun. I was just, do you watch the TV show Speechless? Uh, I do. Well, I don't watch it on a regular basis, but I, uh, John, John Ross Bowie and Cedric Yarbrough are both buddies. So we did a, uh, we did a tribute to them at Sketchfest in San Francisco, the comedy festival that I 
that I founded, um, yeah. which is again, one of those things where I'm like, how am I doing these other things <laughs> and that? But, um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, Cause I, I literally was really just cool. watching, I guess this would have been either the season two or three premiere, like a couple of days ago. And it was like the daughter and I guess the fed that the, the family has, has a, a I think he has like cystic fibrosis or something and it's always moving schools. And so this is actually the first time she's going back to the same school and she's realizing, I don't know the layout of the school. I don't have friends here because she just was expecting to spend some time there and move to a new school. And it wasn't something I consciously thought of until that moment, but it's great. Exactly. The point you just made a lot of these sort of the military brats, they, they did seem sort of like, you know, loners and a bit isolated, not engaging as much. And I didn't really think about it much at the time. But just you mentioning that and seeing this episode is like, oh, yeah, OK, they're just expecting to be here for a transitory period of time and then just be out the door and somewhere else. Yeah, such a different it's such a different experience. Um and, it, it, and I really do feel like, you know, it, people will say, yeah, it made me grow up faster. And then there are other people who will say, no, I feel like it kind of froze me, you know, mm-hmm. that there's a sense of arrested development that happens for a little while before you before you grow roots. Um, what were you I know that you were so busy and active in in school stuff and and all that kind of extracurricular stuff. Was there that were there things that you were drawn to in like the music world or, you know, were, were there specific kinds of movies that, um, that you would get excited about seeing, or was it just kind of the, whatever, whatever fit the mold of the $5, uh, Sunday matinee? Uh, so I was in a film club called Spungula and we would, we would watch movies. Okay, wait, now hold on. <laughs> <laughs> hold on. Everything needs to take a pause. Spungula? Spungula. I don't really know. I can't even remember what the name came from, but we would <laughs> we would make terrible movies, but we were big. At, we had Scorsese, Kubrick. Uh, those are, I guess, sort of the big ones. We would watch uh, their, their movies what? and sort of go through their whole catalogs of uh, horror movies, sci-fi. So, I mean, I'm not discriminating in terms of movies. I'll watch pretty much anything. But, yeah, that was that, – I was wrong, drawn in, in both high school and college to sort of the film buffs. Where, where Was that something that we, was done through the school or was that something that just some buddies put together? We just put together, yeah, outside of anything official. I cannot believe you had time to, you know, my only excuse I gave you for not doing anything else was like, <laughs> well, theater is just very time consuming. But no, you were also making little movies and stuff and <laughs> you were growing up. Of course you were. Of course you were. Were you <clears throat> as within that little group? Would you guys take turns where someone was like, well, I wrote this kind of short thing. Let's shoot it. Or was there like the the kid who always wrote stuff and the kid who always wanted to shoot it with their camp you know what were the roles like within the club within let me say it spungula uh, <laughs> a lot of laziness and just sort of like who actually <laughs> got around to writing and doing something and so i mean to your point i was i was a member of it but not too active in the actual film making process and like we would make like commercials to enter like contests and stuff. And so I'd have a very minor role just because I didn't have too much time to devote other than sort of watching the movies. But uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. We were an active enthusiast of watching the films. If yes. nothing else. Yeah. Debate was sort of my, my main focus and time suck in, in terms of the non athletic en- endeavors. I feel like I could really get into I maybe I'll become the creepy adult who just shows up at high school debate events and is, has no <laughs> attachment to any one person and just like really gets into the excitement of cuz it almost makes me feel nervous and a little sick to imagine 
and I don't have a fear of public speaking, but I mm-hmm. do have a fear of conflict. So that I think is probably why that one piece, uh, I would say is like, even if it's a small stepping stone from the other stuff I was interested in, I'll say that conflict was very uncomfortable for me and still is. So probably that's where I feel that flutter is like the idea of uh-huh. even in a very like structured situation, the idea of having someone like, you know, their job is to attack a point I'm making. Mm-hmm. That's probably why I didn't, uh, I did not, even though I have such a, 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 an interest and, and kind of emotional passion about the law and, and our legal system. When I think about, you know, like <laughs> the idea <laughs> of being up against someone, that's terrifying to me. Well, that's interesting because, so as I said, I was an M, shy and introverted. I hate personal conflict in my private life, I'm a middle ch- classic middle child peacemaker. But when it's a structured mm-hmm. environment, whether it's public speaking or debate, that either conflict or the public speaking doesn't bother me at all. I'm completely fine, comfortable in front of a classroom, arguing something, debating something. You put me at a cocktail party <laughs> and have me making yeah. small talk <laughs> with people like that's that's terrifying to me. <laughs> Yeah, I I feel similarly, although I don't know if it's a for me, it's not shyness, but I've I think I've discovered, especially as I've gotten older, that like I really want structure in my social life as well as in anything else. So just like the 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 helter skelter of like a cocktail party or a bar where it's loud that that I I do feel like I think I kind of want someone to say like when your turn comes you'll give a list of five things like I I, (laughs) I want the game night you know I want the 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 structure and I think I, I maybe up until this moment I thought that it had more to do with like you know how many times have I lamented like a loud bar on this podcast? What a snore, Janet. We get it. You're an old lady, but uh, <laughs> but I but I think now that I'm thinking about it, like it might actually be more of like a control thing too, where mm-hmm. it's not me. I don't need to be the one in control. Right. But I feel like maybe I like maybe I actually want you know some very specific structure to what's happening in my social world as well, which is kind of an uncomfortable thought that I'm having for the first time. That's, you know, but it sounds like you can relate a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I love game night. Uh, you know, it's game night. It, it is, <laughs> it's a fun time having some structure there. Yeah. You know, you have a, a director. Yeah, there you go. You get it. You get it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I want to get into this mash game with you. Um, <clears throat> the first category that I'm going to do, well, let's, we'll, we'll do this and, and we're just going to get this right out of the way because uh, again, I need to return to this, moment that I thought maybe I had psychic powers about the chef thing until I realized it was probably blue apron related. Uh, but, but let's do three. It can be as specific as like, yeah, that kind of one thing you'd love to be famous for, or it can just be, uh, you know, regional t- type of cooking, a world, uh, another culture something like that. But three things you wish that you were great at, uh, making. And let's assume in this world you have, uh, one of the world's most phenomenal senses of smell and taste. Okay, so I love huevos, uh, what is it? huevos rancheros, Mexican dish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that is just delicious. I love Mexican food in general. So, I mean, if I, oh, if I had me skill in Mexican cuisine, perfect. I mean, that's just aces. That is terrific. That would be wonderful. Um, right. Second would be being able to make sushi. I've actually tried this 
Oh, uh, we were in Chicago. We actually had like a fishmonger with sushi grade fish right next to us and like tried, like looked online, tried to do these sushi rolls and they just fall apart. And I love sushi. Now I'm, I'm, I'm a pescatarian now, as I think I've said in my paper and heads. And so I don't eat chicken <laughs> or meat anymore. So fish is my main dish and I love it, but um, I cannot make sushi to save my life. And so that is definitely the second thing that I would love to be Excellent. able to make. Um, and then the third, if I, you know, had the skill would be, uh, essentially, um, I guess fettuccine Alfredo, a, a good Alfredo. Um, Great. Great. that's, that's probably my favorite Italian dish. Love Italian food. And that is something where, again, <laughs> I've made attempts and it just does not turn out well. And so if I could make a good fettuccine Alfredo, then life would be better. Excellent. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I sort of think of Alfredo as being something simple, but it's not. It has nothing to do with the simplicity of the recipe. It's just because it's a it's a sauce that is offered everywhere, mm-hmm. which has again no bearing on like a really great Alfredo sauce. Now that I'm thinking about like the things that go into it, feel like they could that would be a huge challenge. Like mixing like creams and oils right. already feels like, uh-oh, that feels like it could go, you know, that could break bad mighty quick. Um, so I appreciate this. I agree with you. Fettuccine Alfredo, I think, feels like the fact that you could have mastered that uh, would be immensely satisfying. Um, let's do three real-life places, whether you've been to them or not, uh, that you would like to have a vacation home. Okay. Um, so I guess that the first would be a place... I haven't been, which is Australia. And I would specifically say Melbourne, Australia, just because I'm a huge tennis buff and that is where the Australian Open is played. And so I've always been fascinated by Australia, always wanted to visit there, um, has never worked out. But yeah, if I could get a place in Australia right there by the tennis center um, close to the ocean, that would be perfect. Great. Beautiful. Uh, second, I would say, uh, I guess I just learned this, I guess, recently but uh belize is uh it used to be british honduras so it's in central america beautiful beaches there and so that the key point there being that they still have english as an official language uh-huh. and so <laughs> it would be nice to be able to go down there into central america and have the beach and have everything else that's great about that but also not uh, I, I i took spanish in high school but didn't follow through in college and so at this age, I'm not sure if I'm learning Spanish, and so that would be cool to be able to have a place there. Great. Uh, the third, another place I haven't been that I always wanted to go is Hawaii. Um, I think Oahu is probably the island that intrigues me the most, and I'm hoping the next few years to go out there to Hawaii and see what reality is like versus expectations. But certainly, yeah, Oahu, Hawaii would be a cool place. And w- and and what uh, what is it about Oahu? Just, I mean, it's 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 not the most touristy or commercial. It's always sort of pitched as this is a place where there's still a lot of native culture there, but there's also a lot of things about the modern world that are intersecting. And so I think it, it's not this, you know, touristy mainstream area, and it's these these different cultures all blending together. Um, that that seems interesting. I'm trying to think because this is the reason that I asked that is that I think Oahu and I'm saying this as a person who I think has been to Hawaii three times, which I had never been to. And then suddenly I went there three times within like a two year period Mm. because of comic cons. Uh, And the same was true for me of New Zealand and Australia. Like it was a place I kind of thought, Oh, I don't see myself ever getting down there. And then all of a sudden I went there like four times in two years. But, um, but I think Oahu is the most touristy. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, I, might, I think Kawhi. That, I might well, be I think I'm just feet. saying. I'm yeah. the only reason I'm saying that. By the way, I just not a huge deal. It's only because the people listening to the podcast who really know a ton about Hawaii. I want to keep them from having heart attacks because they're experiencing <laughs> that thing where they want to like, like butt in and say like, Oh wait, Colin, hold on. I think you mean, uh, and so I'm just trying to do them the favor of me getting that out of the way because yes. I think because Oahu is the one that has Honolulu and like, you know, the sort of Waikiki beach of it all and is more developed. Whereas like the big Island Hawaii is the one who, which of course is having this huge, volcanic eruption um and but has sort of a mix of both more wilderness and then also some tourist stuff and then like there we go Kauai (laughs) is the wildest one Kauai i think is the wildest one um and then see i can't and then listen i can't even remember the name of the other one so i'm not now now everyone's angry with me so unless you can provide that those same people are still having those same heart attacks it just all they did was give it two more minutes before they actually experience those heart attacks yeah i may be Um, legal story i as we've established now i am not hawaii (laughs) so which whichever hawaiian island is the 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 not the touristy but they're not the complete winter you know uh, wilderness where it's sort of the nice common maybe it's the big island yeah Yeah. so i would say you the big island is really really great because the big island has sun on one side and then it has a tremendous amount of rainfall on the other so you can sort of get the sunny beach snorkel experience yes yes. or you can get the the like it never stops raining but there's the rainfall and the the volcanoes and all that kind of stuff is just absolutely stunning as well uh there i've only been to that island once and then the other times i've been were uh to oahu so i that's the limit to my expertise so you know no i I don't want you to feel i clearly there's there's no there's no shame on your (laughs) part you've never been there uh okay so next category let's do um well i gotta do the three movies that you can step into and sort of live in that world uh you're not reliving the plot you're just kind of there's something about it as whether it's sci-fi fantasy or you know totally reality based something that would be wonderful to kind of step in and just like get away from it all inside of Wow. Okay. So yeah, if I'm, you know, what I'm thinking is, I'm trying to specify which one exactly, but it'd be a, a, mu- a movie musical. Um, oh, and great. I guess it'd be like an upbeat one, not like a dance from the dark, which is like a big downer. Yeah. <laughs> not like having <laughs> really any angry inch, which is like the songs. Are, I want a world where basically people are just in the streets singing and, and dancing and stuff. I guess there were, you know, like, so maybe like singing yeah. in the rain or something or like La La Land oh, where it's great. like, that would sure. be cool. You're just walking around and people breaking this song and they're dancing. Um, so that would be cool. Going into some type of Great. movie okay. musical, I'll go singing in the rain. Uh, okay. Second, I would say, and I was interesting because I just heard they're making the third one, is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Um, oh. So you get to sort of hang out with the Wild Stallions and they're making their rock music, but you're also like traveling through history and seeing like Napoleon and Lincoln. And so like that would be really cool. Yeah, um, Absolutely. So that would be the, the sort of the, so I have a, a musical, I have sort of a, a sci-fi time travel. Uh, I guess the third one I would so well, I mean this sort of fits with me is I haven't even seen the movie yet, but I've read the book is Ready Player One. Like the oh, whole okay. idea of like a futuristic Easter egg hunt where you have to know eighties trivia and like that's the big conceit. Like that yeah. is something that I would definitely enjoy being in and competing and figuring that world out. Everything you're saying uh, just cracked open my interest in both the book and the movie in a way no one has bothered to with me before. Can I be honest with you? I Mm -hmm. really, I was like, oh, because people read the book and 
it was anybody who read the book was just kind of like oh yeah it's super fun like it's you know a bunch of 80 stuff but they there was nothing specific ever told to me about it so I was like oh okay well I'm not in a rush to read that and then the movie came out and people kind of said the same thing but like just in a sort of oh it's this it's a real homage and mishmash of all this 80s stuff and and again I didn't know that there was I it, the, the book is called Ready Player One and I it never occurred right, to right. me that there was like a gaming element to it where there was some sort of like goal to be reached uh so you just encapsulated for me in a way that I'm like yeah, that does sound like something I would be really into. Yeah, and I think I think so, as I you know. said, we were yeah. born the same year, and so you would have gone through all the same pop cultural <laughs> experiences as me. And that's, yeah. I mean, the book is just it is just filled with '80s references, and so yeah, it's a lot of fun. Oh my gosh! Okay, now I now I'm now I'm actually interested. I can't believe it was it was all I needed was that one simple push. Um, okay, uh, next category. Let's do. Uh, well, listen, let's do the three sports that, you know, they can be sports that you've never tried or they can be sports that you have a love of. And this, this just bumps you up to that next level, uh, where you're just, you know, uh, beyond amazing at it, but three sports that, you know, you will have you wake up tomorrow, uh, having kind of downloaded that disability, um, matrix style. Yeah, and so th this is the sport I always wanted to do in high school, but we didn't have it. So we had track and field, and I would run long distance. But there's, have you ever seen the Olympics, the steeplechase? No, what's a steeplechase? So the steeplechase is, it's like two miles long, and there are these high hurdles, and one of the hurdles has a water pit behind it. What? And it's always Whoa. interesting to watch because, like, you'll have these people and, like, be falling into the water and tripping and, and all that, but... I love long distance running. I'm t I'm six foot four, and so like the hurdles, I can jump over the higher hurdles. I always wanted to do steeplechase in high school, but we didn't have it, and so like that would be killer to just be able to do the steeplechase. Do you like uh like sort of obstacle course, like rope course type stuff for fun? Oh, I'm I would love to do like American Ninja Warrior. Like I watched that, and I'm like yeah. I'm probably vastly overestimating my skills. Where I'm like, oh yeah, I could, I could, I, could, I couldn't do the salmon ladder. Um, have you, if you watched American Ninja yeah. Warrior, where it's like, I don't have the yeah. upper body strength to do that. But the other things, I feel like that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I would, I would totally go on American Ninja Warrior. So let's do that. See, that's the, that's just, the second sport. Yeah. <laughs> is, oh, oh, great, great, yeah, great. If I could, okay. if I could, if I could do American Ninja Warrior. American Ninja Warrior, amazing. See, this is what I'm talking about. Like, I think you can sum up the even just the fact that like <laughs> this is so I'm so I'm really just like like minimalizing everything I'm I'm uh I'm compartmentalizing I'm doing all the things I'm I'm uh, being deductive um not in the reason way but in a like a reductive I guess I should say I'm being reductive but the fact that you loved long distance running as a younger person I cannot tell you how much I want to roll my eyes at you and say that just fits right into all the <laughs> of the stuff and I'm speaking as a person who excelled at the 50 yard dash <laughs> because it was over really fast I could burn all my energy immediately and then I didn't have to worry about saving any leftover like it took me such a long time to get into anything that involved endurance which I now really enjoy like I love being mm -hmm. on my bike riding hills for two and a half hours 
um, which I never, you know, which I would never have associated with my uh, myself as a young person because I was a really good athlete. But it was truly for things that took the littlest amount of time possible because <laughs> I had zero patience. As I would never like running a lap around the the playground. I I was like, ugh, I I burned through everything I had in the first like fifty yards, and now I'm just tired. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's and I think you know Greece, uh, the movie Greece. You know, it's like John Travolta is like distance long distance i don't know i think i saw that movie and i was like oh okay that's fun like run long distance cross country and that was sort of what people i don't know listen now you're making it this whimsical thing about how you were uh, influenced (laughs) by a charming pop culture thing but i I think it goes right to character of the person who you know is also like has this sort of sense of themselves early and is like yeah this these steps make sense to this kind of ultimate place that that i could end up whereas like i just refuse to even see anything uh past 50 yards in the the 50 yards of my life uh so i I, I remain impressed all greece notwithstanding so the the third sport is my second main interest beyond the the steeplechase which is the modern pentathlon which is a really interesting event it is based upon history of greek soldiers and if they were dropped behind enemy lines what skills would they need to escape and so it's it's still in the olympics Ooh. it's five different events and i actually have done four of the five so it's running again it is shooting it is fencing it is swimming unless i said that before and it is like horse riding and doing like you know the equestrian oh events my. that <laughs> is awesome yeah, and so that that is a, I always love watching that in the Olympics. Although I guess it's not very popular in the U.S. No one in the U.S. really does well. But yeah, if I could be like the Olympic gold medalist in the modern pentathlon, most people want the decathlon, but the modern pentathlon that would be oh yeah, I want to master that. Let me point out too that basically what you've done in that scenario is wished for more wishes because you yeah, made it's, yourself it's an expert at five things instead. No, it's good. It's brilliant. That's how this. That's how, that's how a real master plays the mash game. Um, were you a Boy Scout? No, I was not a Boy Scout. Because that seems like, the, again, that's the kind of thing where I sort of look back and go, man, I think that might have been cool to sort of take on some of those uh, those skills that I absolutely did not possess back then, but like might have, I might have been kind of a sturdy Girl Scout or Boy Scout. I probably would have wanted to be a Boy Scout, to be honest with you. But mm. um, in fact, let me take that, let me use that as inspiration for this next category, which is now I'm going to take you back to any time before college you were so busy doing all this other stuff. Let's get three things because knowing you, there probably are three things, even with all the stuff you were doing, that you would have liked to have been able to do that, you know, for whatever reason now it could be because, you know, like you said, getting graded a language right now may pose uh, a little bit more of a challenge than it would have when you were a kid. Um, but like three things that, you know, you didn't have time for, you didn't know about uh, when you were little that we kind of get to give you as a gift now. Um, okay, so one thing, this is something uh, I'm I, drawing. I, I have like stick figures <laughs> and it's absolutely yeah. terrible, but I had this idea of doing like sort of a, a graphic novel that would illustrate sort of the great cases, like the great criminal law cases, because I think nice. a lot of people learn that way much better than if they're just reading cases. And so if I could like illustrate this graphic novel of the great, like Miranda, like, ooh, what's going on in that case? I can sort of draw it out and people can see that. So if I could be, you know, a great animator illustrator, if I could have learned that skill, that would have been fantastic. Great. 
Uh, second, uh, as you'll hear later, I am tone deaf. I have no musical talent whatsoever, but I would love, I mean, I, I really wanted to be able to play the guitar. And so if I could have gotten the skill of learning how to play guitar, that would have been a lot of fun. Great. And then tying back to my bad sense of taste and smell, uh, chef, I'm, <laughs> I love food and I am cheap, so I don't like to eat out too much. And so if I could have really <laughs> developed that skill, I had the interest in of being able to be a, a better chef and whip up some like, you know, top chef style or iron chef style, like have some leftover ingredients and throw it together into this amazing meal. That would be a great skill. Fantastic. Okay, this third one I'm going to uh, stretch into the legal world in a way that I personally have no working knowledge of and I'm not comfortable with, but I'm hoping that you do. Uh, but it's kind of spinning off of what you were talking about with the way the Netherlands uh, treats you know, the, the idea of assisted suicide. But can you tell me, can you think of three other countries that have some sort of element that you look at um, – I mean, that's saying a lot because, uh, you know, it's very much argued and, and accepted, at least in this country, that we have one of the better legal systems in the world. So it's I know it's a little bit of a stretch, maybe, but are there other things like that? And you can certainly include that in this list uh, that you're like, you know, I really think this little piece or even just this decision in this other country, I wish that that could influence or, or we could that could carry over into uh, the way we do things um, to to to. to improve the legal system here yeah uh, so the first is germany and i think i have this right i have at least part of it right i think that when new attorneys come in they cycle for their first three years being a prosecutor a defense attorney and a judge and wow. so the benefit to that system is they see it from all three sides and perspectives yeah. And it's not, oh, I'm just a prosecutor after law school, and that's all I know, or I'm just a, a defense counsel. And so they get to see mm. how all the sides work, and they get that empathy for the defendant if they're the prosecutor, or they you know, understand the difficult position of the prosecutor if they're defense counsel. So that is something I would love to see uh, the American system adopt. Uh, the Fantastic. second would be, and this is from a, a few different countries, including France, I believe, is in the United States, and actually I just saw on Twitter some people talking about this, and I, I've written about this, in our plea bargaining process, which is in effect the vast majority of cases now, most criminal cases don't go to trial, they're, they're bargained and there's a plea deal, the judge is prohibited from being involved. And what happens mm. is typically in our system, we have overwhelmed public defenders and it's prosecutors overcharging and it's a lot of unfairness to defendants in the sentences and there's a few states, uh, including Florida and Connecticut, but other countries like France, where the judge is directly involved in the plea writing process. And every report mm -hmm. I've seen from those countries and those states is this is positive. It's a great element. And yet we don't have it here in most of the states. And so that's definitely something that I would want to add to the American system. Great. Great, um, great, great. Third, we can take this from every country outside of the U.S., and that is abolishing juvenile life without parole. Um, there's indeed, a movement toward indeed. that now, but the U.S. is the only country in the world now where we have children who are 15 and 16, and they, you know, they commit horrible crimes, but they're kids. And research shows their brains and their impulse control are not fully developed, and we're the only country in the world where it's it's we're locking them up and throwing away the keys and they have no chance of being released in many states and so taking that from any number of countries 
uh, I would wish we would get rid of. And I think we might in the next decade or two completely get rid of life without parole for juveniles. And I know this is like I, I'm I'm asking something that is an entirely other episode on its own, and it's something that you guys have even covered. Um, but but <laughs> if you had to boil it down to one sentence, uh, why do you think that we? Wh- why do you think that we uh, as a culture um, ha- have held on to that? I know I know that's like a really complicated question for uh, you know a pretty complicated issue. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess the the one sentence would be we have this idea of the super predator that unfortunately has been introduced into the American lexicon and has this idea of people being unredeemable. It goes back to our 7-Up talk where the criminal justice system sees these children and says they can't be redeemed. And I think that's an incorrect yeah. view of humanity and human growth. And unfortunately, that's taken root and has not been... Uh, sort of weeded out over the years that's a brilliant reply and it is that is that that sort of boils down and 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 drills down deeper into what I kind of thought you would would say which is literally just fear like we're a very fearful society (laughs) that too yeah we're deeply afraid no no I mean as I said I think your, your answer is yes it's that and here's and here's specifically how it's that um uh, that was a great answer. Wow. It's almost like you should teach this. Uh, okay. You do. Um, let's do your next, uh, category. All due respect to your wonderful partner in life. This is a mash game. As you know, I will be asking for three people that, uh, will fulfill some sort of satisfying, uh, alternate universe romantic situation. And it can be characters from books. It can be characters from movies. Certainly can be, you know, celebrity people, uh, famous people for one reason or another, um, living or dead. All right. So I'll, I guess, again, us being born, the, the same year I'll go to, to 80s crushes and right so the first is probably my favorite TV show of all time the Wonder Years um, I would oh, go with uh, Winnie yes. Cooper uh, so I mean I saw myself oh as my Kevin Arnold we were basically the same age and yeah I mean you know in the 80s Winnie Cooper I mean not just myself but everyone <laughs> I think was in love with Winnie Cooper oh and so yeah I was just thinking about this the other day because when one of my very uh, dearest, dearest friends from uh, childhood um, called to tell me he was engaged, I had this totally unexpected reaction, which was that I burst into tears, even though he and I were not in a relationship. (laughs) And I have realized, I was like, I think you, I think maybe you might be my Kevin Arnold. Like, I think... (laughs) somewhere inside of me like the child in me was like we'll probably end up together so i really get it in a major way of course i'm talking about something that happened 20 years ago but uh but i for some reason i just thought about the other day okay great so winnie cooper got it uh the second i get you know if if i didn't see myself as kevin arnold uh probably saw myself as well again this is this is probably many people in the 80s as lloyd dobler and say anything and ione sky i forget her what was maybe diane her her character's name in that movie definitely but sort of the the high school valedictorian with a lot of stuff going on under the surface and like that so that yeah ione sky in in say anything would definitely be another 80s crush beautiful uh the third Gosh, I mean, I, I think it would have to go. Um, 
Maybe Elizabeth Shue in Adventures in Babysitting? She just seemed like... Great, great, great. Yeah, like, just seemed like that was, like, the, had everything together. Well, she didn't, I guess, in, in the movie, but just the way that she sort of handled all the situations in that movie and just her character and all that and seemed like a nice person. So, yeah, Elizabeth Shue specifically in Adventures in Babysitting, I guess, would be the third great. 80s crush. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, and then final category, which of course I'm totally unprepared for, as I am with every other uh, <laughs> category before it, but which I put tremendous pressure on myself for. Uh, let's do. Um, oh gosh, how do I want to end this with you? Well, you know what? Let's do time travel. You talked about it with Bill and Ted, but let's uh, let's let's get a, a bit more into that. Three three times, three eras. You're in a safety bubble, so nothing bad is going to happen to you uh, that you would like to see with your own eyes for one reason or another. All right. Well, I say this having, I guess, somewhat recently read eleven twenty two sixty three, the the Stephen King cook about the sure. uh, Stephen King book about the the Kennedy assassination. So. You could drop me down there, uh, November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, into Dallas, Texas, and I could see what happened with the Kennedy assassination. That is that is something that's always intrigued me, and uh, would love to be able to see that. Fantastic. Uh, let's see. In terms of a second, um, no, maybe the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Um, just such an important and pivotal moment in u.s history and seeing all these people coming come together and being able to talk to them and sort of pick their brains and maybe you know figure out what they were trying to do in setting up the society that would be uh something that would intrigue me indeed uh and in terms of a third event um maybe i would go back gosh uh maybe like 12 15 in the signing of the magna carta in England, I, I guess I'm sort of doing like boring legal answers, but like these, these pivotal <laughs> events when these key documents were, were, were signed, that that's what intrigues me of just like seeing the, yeah. the, the signers and being able to to talk with them and interact with them and, and see what's going on. Like I guess that fits with the whole Bill and Ted thing where I'm talking about like going to these pivotal events. No, I mean that's those are great, and also like that these are these are. These are moments, as you said, that have a, a tremendously deep and sustaining impact on things that you're talking about and teaching on a daily basis. So it's there's nothing boring about wanting to, you know, be able to have like some sort of insight or clarity into into certain moments. That's hugely significant. So fantastic. Um, okay, so I'm just gonna do that little kind of squiggly thing where it, that just gives me the right. um, my eeny meeny miny mo number. Everything I just said was gibberish. Uh, so just give me uh just give me a little you know tell me when to stop here stop okay so colin i am very excited to give you your 100 percent guaranteed fictitious mash future i <clears throat> would like to begin by telling you that you are a in fact wonderful chef <laughs> uh now you got it not not just for a one specific category so i will say that you excel specifically at mexican cuisine but rest assured in general because you were able to do it uh, from the time you were a child you really have become uh, quite a wonderful chef slash cook so well done on Thanks. that 
Uh, I want to congratulate you on the fact that when you were talking about uh, moments in time, moments in history, sharing that with your students or just talking about it in your regular life, you have yourself seen the signing of the Magna Carta. <laughs> awesome. So you will have a very, very particular insight to bring to the table where it comes to that. Now, if people are uh, interested in what uh, life can be like on the inside of Ready Player One, that's also something you have a very peculiar ability to speak to. <laughs> um, you have a beautiful house in Oahu or the Big Island of Hawaii, <laughs> as the case may be. We'll see. Or any of the islands of Hawaii, <laughs> once we figure out which one you would like to be on. Uh, and you can, what does this say? Yes, yes. Uh, I remember when you blew everyone's mind uh, doing the, mon the modern pentathlon, uh, a lot of people said, you know, is there anything this man cannot do? Uh, <laughs> and I think the answer is no, there isn't anything. Uh, so congratulations on your incredible physical prowess in uh, many, many different arenas. Uh, you were able to share all of the, these great times with uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Shue's character from... <laughs> I think we all know what I'm about to say, Adventures of Babysitting. <clears throat> and, uh, and perhaps the most deeply significant con contribution, not that all of these other things aren't uh, mammoth, but uh, perhaps the, the, the most wide-stretching contribution is that you have successfully um, gotten the United States to end no life without parole for uh, minors in our legal system, which is uh, an extraordinary accomplishment and for which we all thank you. And that is, is great, the, yeah. that, those are the MASH results. Are you pleased? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I love my life, but that, that's a nice alternate u, uh, universe, <laughs> uh, you know, like fringe sort of like separate, separate world going on type thing. Yeah, it's that, that, that's, yeah. that's a nice secondary reality. Yeah, especially when you end up with a pentathlon, so you've managed to cheat the system. Um, so very well done. Uh, and then, Colin, you know, the last thing that I will ask of you, um, in addition to anything else that you would like people to be aware of, uh, anybody who listens to Undisclosed, I imagine probably already knows where they can find you on social media, etc. cetera. Um, but if there's anything you want people to be aware of besides uh, being a part of that fantastic podcast, um, you, this would be a good time to tell us that as well yeah um i i don't uh, the other project i'm working on now i guess that, that i'll be sort of posting soon and hopefully people across the country can get behind it is there's a lot of states where if you pled guilty to a crime you cannot later present evidence of actual innocence or seek dna testing and so there's a lot of states where that's the law and there's a lot of reasons why people falsely confess or plead guilty when they're not in fact guilty and so Look for that coming out and hopefully contact your state legislators to let them know if your state is one of those states that you want the law changed. Yeah, and there's a that you actually covered that in what was it last week's episode of Undisclosed that was yeah. um, explored uh, with much detail. And and so where so if people want to look for that, like where is that best place? Should they should they follow you on Twitter? Uh, yeah, on Twitter, I'll be posting at your blog. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I'm going to start on my blog. Yeah, so, th so this week I'm going to start. It's like a 50-state survey. So I'll be looking at the laws in each state across the country and letting you know whether your state is what I call a good state that allows these people to seek testing and prove their innocence or a bad state where 
you know, even if they have a, a video of this bank robbery showing so a five foot tall Caucasian man and you're a six foot tall African American man, you cannot present that if you've pled guilty to that crime. That's so, it seems, there's so many moments in the law that seem so preposterous and they, they present themselves as no brainers. And then that's one of the things that I think is so extraordinary and frustrating and ultimately exciting about the law is that it is this sort of breathing, living human thing, which I think people who find it dull or don't really, you know, spend any time really thinking about, you sort of put that, you people sort of put it into like, well, it's all in the books. And, you know, when you, when you, when you really take a look at like, oh, this, so this happened for this one specific reason. And these, this group of people had this reason for doing it. And this is how it had this like incredibly wide ranging uh, effect on our entire legal system. And this is what we have to do to kind of correct that. Um, that's all just so fascinating, right? That it's so just alive and moving and, but it's also terrifying. Yes, exactly. Moving and terrifying. <laughs> yes, very much so. Uh, speaking of moving and terrifying. <laughs> yes, this is definitely this moving. And- <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to end this episode with you singing in whatever way you see fit, uh, your interpretation of some moments of Don Henley's Boys of Summer. I'll preface this by saying I am tone deaf and a terrible singer, but I did <laughs> once finish second in a karaoke contest singing Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses, but that was just shouting it, so <laughs> this is not going to sound good. Okay. Okay, great. You got that hair slicked back and those wayfarers on, baby, and I can tell you my love for you will still be strong. After the boys of summer have gone. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Moving and terrifying. Uh, don't, sell, don't, don't sell yourself short. It was both moving and terrifying. Uh, Colin, thank you so much for doing the podcast. This has been a real personal treat for me. Uh, as you know, I'm a huge fan, and uh, I cannot say enough good things about uh, the work that you're doing, both you know, just in the educational world and in the world at large, uh, so that people like I can p- p- can you know find out what I'm missing from taking a class with you, which frankly I think is a lot. So um, thank you for, for kind of expanding out uh, your influence and, uh, and educating so many people who didn't even know how passionate they were about the law until uh, people like you and Rabia and Susan um, made it more accessible. Yeah, well, Jenna, as, uh, same on my end, huge fan of yours. I uh, love talking to you, and thanks so much for having me on. Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys. And I will talk to you next time on the podcast. As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by The Amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.